Being a mother is an attitude, not biology. An unknown writer once said, if you give me any three words, I'll write you a story about my mother. Story is in our DNA, and of course, so is she. We gathered stories from men and women in all walks of life. Stories about the ones we have, the ones we are, the ones we know. This includes stories about stepmothers, godmothers, grandmothers, birth moms, foster moms, the mom up the street. It includes stories about not being a mom and stories about mothering in other ways. No matter how you slice it, if it's not one thing, it's your mother. Hi everybody, I'm Lupe Padilla Mitchell. I'm a life coach of mothers and families and a mother of three adult daughters. I'm Katie Mitchell, actress, writer, storyteller, and mom of a teenage son. So our guest today is the beautiful poet Kelly Grace Thomas. Because of her two mother poems, we're going to talk about body image and how it is handed down through the generations. And we're going to make you think about when it is that parts of us start to die. Kelly Grace Thomas has been nominated for the Pushcart Prize and Best of the Next. She was a finalist for the Rita Dove Poetry Award, and she was the winner of the 2017 Neil Postman Award for Metaphor from Rattle. Her poetry has appeared everywhere that great poetry appears, from the Los Angeles Review, Tinderbox, Nashville Review, etc., etc. Her first full-length collection, Boat Burned, will be out in 2019. And honestly, we are thrilled to be able to share her with you. Okay, first of all, we loved, both of us are so taken with your writing. Wonderful. That's so kind. Thank you. It's so amazing how doing this project, all these beautiful sort of jewels fall out of the sky into our laps. And you're one of those. Hmm. Yeah, we just have been blessed with some amazing pieces and writers and poets and lyrics and it's funny how once you just kind of ask and you shall receive. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm a big believer in that and like manifestation and like, you know, speaking it into existence. And I was also really interested um, in what you all were doing. And like, you know, it just seems like it's an interesting podcast. We think so too. <laughs> Is there anything you want to say to set up the first poem? This poem I uh, said was like a poem that I've written, like that I've been trying to write all of my life, that I was like rewriting the same poem, the same poem. And I was like, that's not it. That's not it. Um, until I got to this one. And I was like, that's it. I got it. And you feel it with every single word. It is it, you know, and it's going to resonate, I think, with a, a lot of people in our audience. So thank you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> So the first poem um, I'm going to read was published in the Los Angeles Review. This is How the Body is Passed Down. My mother unzips the body, passes it down. The dress, tailored, too tight, leaves red indentations of buttons, pressed hard as apology. My mother was still hungry, royal with fridge glow. Learned that loneliness eats with its hands. My body has always been a window I cannot throw myself from. Breasts, stomach, thighs, dimpled and swollen, wetted wood in a house I was born into but did not build. I see my mother's hips every time I open the fridge, every time the fridge opens me. My cabinets, stocked with shame, 
what a mother feeds her young. Now I know a body can haunt itself, be a fear no one else believes in, a ghost that only says my name. Wow, so beautiful. I just love it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So, so tell us about this poem. It's funny, this poem is, it's such a complicated poem for me to talk about, but I think like it's really important to talk about. Uh, so my mom, for most of my life has been pretty overweight. And, you know, her, her family was pretty overweight, or they struggled really, really hard um, to keep their weight at a quote, unquote, like normal whatever number that it's supposed to be like she always talks about how her father had an apple for lunch um every day and that was it you know so there's always been body issues that have kind of been circulating around my household whether whether it was eating disorders both in like um like deprivation or eating to excess right um so a lot of times and you know it's it's sad and it's upsetting, um, but I think this is something that we think about often is like what what is passed down to our parents in terms of whatever. It's like you have your mother's eyes or, you know, the shape of your body um, and knowing that since like I have certain genes that are like have, you know, the perchance to be of a larger person that for me, it's been like a daily struggle to like hold myself at a weight that. I feel confident about that, you know, I can kind of like move through the world, um, comparing myself to all the billboards and other things as trite as that sounds. I mean, there's just no, there's no escaping it. Um, and then thinking about like, um, the ways that I was kind of brought up to use food and the reward of food to fill all sorts of emotional, functions, whether it be celebration, whether it be, you know, you feel bad. So have some ice cream or you have this. So um, just the idea of like, my mom, I think has had a, a fairly difficult life. And there were things that were in her family that, you know, weren't talked about. And there were things in my family that weren't talked about. So a lot of times, like you turn to food as an ally. Um, and that creates like a whole, a whole, like deep, dark, very strange scenario when you take something that you need to survive and you use it as another function, right? Like, so I have like, I really like pretty dresses, <laughs> but I don't need them to survive, you know? So it gets like really complicated. Um, so I think like thinking, thinking about that and thinking about, um, my mom would always say like, I'm really sorry. I'm sorry that, you know, you've inherited my genes. Mm. Um, just like the shame and the, and the guilt around that. And then you know, both my sister and I had suffered um, from eating disorders when we were younger. And like, that was, that was never talked about. I mean, neither my sister and I, neither one of us even knew, like you could tell, but no one talked about it. So for me, this poem um, was really kind of a way to start talking about like my relationship with my body um, and what control it seems like the body has over me. Um, and then the idea of that it was not just me, it was also my mother, it was also my sister. So it seemed like in the house I grew up on grew up in, it was a very female experience to be haunted by one's own body. 
And how long has that, you know, like how long have you been being passed down a line? Exactly. And how intergenerational is this? And my book explores that. I mean, my book explores a lot of like the way that females perceive their bodies, we think sometimes, right, comes from a a man's ideal. Mm -hmm. But a lot of that in my family was perpetrated by the women, Mm -hmm. by the women saying like, if you look like this, no man will want you or, you know, or no one will want you in general, Mm -hmm. you know, so it's just like really exploring the ways that like, we learn how to love or hate our body through modeling and through the the narrative that's passed down through generations. So right, and then reflected in the culture around us as well. Oh God, yeah. The line that just every time makes the top of my head pop off a little bit. The my cabinets stocked with shame. What a mother feeds her young. Yeah, is so powerful. Yeah, I mean, one line after that next. You really, <laughs> like it's so few words. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. For me, I think that. I I adore language. I am not I think that language evokes experience and it evokes emotions. So, um it's all about the wrestle with those <laughs> many many things. Totally agree and that's why the artist is such an important part of our makeup as, you know, as humans on the planet. Why we need it so desperately help us understand ourselves, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. Part of the podcast, my favorite part of the podcast is that people get to learn so much and when a writer puts emotions into words, then their emotions are validated. Yeah. I mean, it's funny that you say that. So like the poems that I write about my mom, you know, I love, I love my mom so incredibly much. And Aracelis Germay has a quote that says like, poems are the houses that we build for our mothers. This might be my wisest song. And, you know, I have a poem about that, about how, you know, I'm exploring a lot in the book of her relationship and how she taught me to be a woman. But like almost every poem that I write is for for me, but also for her, you know, and like saying that, like, we need to talk about these things to heal these things. So when this poem came out, um, my mom, you know, I, I posted on Facebook and it was really hard because it came out with a, a really amazing journal that I'd always want to be included in. And I was so honored, but then I knew she was going to read it and she was going to read it without me being able to preface it or talk about it first. So I asked her, I said, you know, did you, did you read the poem that I posted? And she said, I did. And it made me really sad. Um, and I said, you know, I I'm really sorry. And like, that's not the intention. Um, and she was like, you know, I don't know why you want to write about such sad things. And I was like, you know, mom, we never talked about any of these things that have been like hurting me my whole entire life. I said, as, as an adult, I now get that choice. And every time I read a poem like this, so many women come up to me and say, oh my gosh, I can totally relate or I needed that or, you know, so I said, it's not about healing me. It's kind of about healing something larger that I feel like is, is hurt. Um, inside all of us when it comes to like body image and how we we look at, you know, our natural shape. Right. What I love about it too is that you have such a love, a, a love for your mother. Someone else might think that um, these things were like thrown on you, but it's actually something your mother carried too. It wasn't something that she just slapped you with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, so then, so will you read how my mother almost died? Sure, yeah, absolutely. How my mother almost died. 
Maybe it started with the cracking of ribs, the breaking of birdhouses made from popsicle sticks. There was anesthesia and surgical masks. There was a man in a white coat trying to bring her back. There were daughters from California who sat next to her hospital bed, patient ferns, hoping to share their oxygen. Maybe it was the Christmas her eyes became frightened owls in a foreign forest, her hands shaky as wind chimes. She always loved the holidays, always decorated the house before our visit. She whispered, something's very wrong, holding the undercooked turkey. Maybe it was when her handwriting changed. On the Valentine's Day card she sent to me, I spotted the tremors in her G's the fracture of her S's. She became a shattered alphabet. Maybe it was when she looked in the mirror and only saw her own mother's paper skin. Maybe it was at her father's funeral. Her lips a padlock she placed in the coffin. A dying secret she palmed into a stiff granite hands. A violin chord before black veils and loose dirt. Maybe it started at her child's fifth birthday with that third piece of cake. Sugared roses never wilt. The way taste can lurk as understudy, practicing its lines for lonely lips. Maybe it was when her husband left, when he said, it's over, no more. As casually as one would say after finishing a meal, his two daughters silent at the dinner table leaving the knife still dirty on the plate. That is, I I, I mean, I don't even know what to say. That is such a beautiful piece. Oh, thank you. So it it came out of, there's a a poet, her name is Amber Tamblyn. She's actually an actress as well. Mm -hmm. And she has this book called Dark Sparkler that explores all of the deaths of famous movie stars. And there is a poem about a woman um, who died of, you know, like domestic abuse, I believe that her spouse killed her. And the poem started, it started with her death. And then it really like retraced the different steps of like, when do you actually start to die or what actually starts to kill you? So my mom had open heart surgery two, two years ago, I think two, three years ago. And, you know, was very, very close to dying. And I was thinking about like, you know, her heart and she had she had what's called an AFib. So what happens is they say that something stressful happens and it like it messes up the the steadiness of your heart rate. So sometimes it races, sometimes it slows, sometimes it stops. Um, so I was thinking about like what happened to her that was so stressful that it like kind of shocked the heart out of rhythm. And then so I I kind of like started with the hospital scene of like my sister and I visiting from California and her having open heart surgery and then like looking at kind of like the idea of what a family was supposed to be or maybe perhaps what her future was supposed to look like kind of fell apart and worked backwards from there. It was such a, it was such a beautiful way to tell that story because where do parts of you just start to die off? Yeah, right? And it's crazy because like you could point to so many things like I mean, I had another poem that it was about like, if you got cut open in surgery, what, what are the things they'd find inside of you metaphorically, right? Like, so what, what are all the things we're carrying our, inside our body um, that, 
you know, are just kind of there. They've become part of us, but also are like killing us in some way, sadly. You, you've got two huge fans in us over here. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, that's such a nice thing to hear. You know, sometimes poetry is kind of like a, uh, it's kind of like a lonely sport profession, whatever you want to call it. So it's just like, it's always nice to to hear kind stuff um, about your work that you put a lot of work into. So I really, really appreciate that. And I know that there's so many talented people in this world. So it's just like, it's nice to, to be recognized. I'm not much of a poet person, you know? Yeah. But being exposed to it now through the podcast, I am just uh, much more interested in it. And you get to a, an appreciation when you get to speak to the poet. It's not just on the page and just picked up a book and I know nothing. Like now I could pick up your book and I could hear your voice. Well, they say, you know, poetry is meant to be spoken out loud. Um, but it, it really started that way. So back in the olden times, what you would do is if you went to a party, this is like before technology, maybe even before electricity that you would bring a song or a poem. Yes. You know, and everyone would sit around and 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 read poems. And for me, yeah, when I hear it, you know, like there's some poets who are like super serious and they're like, I'm not going to speak in between my poems. Don't clap in between my poems. Right. And I'm all like, so I, I work for a nonprofit called Get Lit that works with youth poets. And I'm all about audience interaction, making it as engaging as possible. And I was a high school teacher for a while. So I think that you know, context and backstory really does matter. That's how we hook into. Does matter. Yeah, we hook into stories as humans, right? We want to know, like, okay, who are you and where'd you come from and why are you saying these things? So I'm a huge believer in backstory and banter in between poems because yes. for me, when I hear the story of my favorite poets and how they wrote that poem, that poem becomes that much more special and valuable to me and my relationship with it, right? Yes. Yeah, I think, I think that. This podcast is going to help people um, appreciate poetry. I hope so. I think that, well, I think poetry is definitely on the right. I know it is. It is. They said that, I think, oh my gosh, I don't even know if it's like the amount of young people ages like 14 to 24 reading poetry is like doubled in the past three years or something crazy. And, and on social media, I mean, the resurgence in poets and poetry and fans and how young the fans are. Oh my God, it's incredible. It's so funny. So we had a a wonderful poet come do a workshop. Um, his name was is Sam Sachs, um, and like one of my favorite poets. And he had us do a workshop with the youth, and then he wrote a list of like he said, make a list of your unfinished business, um, and like like what you have something more to say. Like if you're gonna, God forbid, like die tomorrow, like what what do you have unfinished business with? And it was really like I was taken aback that half of the poems were to mothers. Um, I thought that was like really very interesting and and very telling of like the the complexity um, and like the value, right, uh, that we hold mothers to. Because I think that if you don't care about something, you're not going to have unfinished business with it, right? You're just going to be like, oh, I don't care. That was no big deal. Exactly. In fact, the more you care about it, the more that business feels unfinished when it's just the tiniest bit niggling at you, you know? It's- yeah, that you think and you ruminate. So great. Well, thank you. This was wonderful, wonderful. Thank you. Okay, that's the show. And you can find out more info on Kelly Grace Thomas and her poetry by going to our website or check the show notes where you download your podcasts. 
And to find out more about our writers, go to our website, Instagram, or Twitter. If it's not one thing, it's your mother. And that's the number one, not the word one. Want to do something to help us? Go wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review us. Five stars would be nice. You can say something complimentary. Because you know what? It really does help other people find our show. And also share us with a friend because word of mouth is the best compliment. Join us next week.